0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Artist Soapbox. Artist Soapbox is a podcast featuring triangle area artists talking about their work, their plans, their manifestos. I am your host, Tamara Kassane. In this episode, you'll hear from Alyssa Noble and Ali Pfeffer, the co-founders and co-directors of Ana a Dance Company. In their upcoming evening-length work titled... Don't Get Any Ideas, Little Lady, ANA Dance Company throws salt in the wounds of male fragility. Their scathing critique clears the ground for audience and performers to build new forms of dignity and power. Don't Get Any Ideas, Little Lady is being presented as part of the Durham Independent Dance Artists Spring 2019 season and is sponsored by Bass Pilates and Movement. Performances will take place June 28th through 30th, 2019 at the Durham Fruit and Produce Company. See links in the show notes for more information. a Dance Company makes art that is inclusive, financially accessible, and socially responsible. They prioritize working with marginalized groups, specifically as it pertains to gender identity and sexuality. While modern dance is their primary medium, they believe that a variety of viewpoints and modalities will always serve the work and the audience. They don't limit the effectiveness of their work by too strictly adhering to an art form that for some is financially, culturally, or historically inaccessible. Breaking down barriers around modern dance is the way they facilitate connections and build community in Durham. We talk about all of that and how it has manifested in the process and production of Don't Get Any Ideas, Little Lady. Enjoy. Hello, Alyssa. Hello, Allie. Thank you so much for being here. Hi. Hi. Today we are talking about your second evening-length work together as A&A Dance Company, and the title of this piece is Don't Get Any Ideas, Little Lady. Performances will be June 28th through 30th at The Fruit in Durham, and as always, I will put links in the show notes. So there are so many components of this production that I would like to cover during our conversation, but I think the best place to start is the subject matter that you're covering.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You've written that Don't Get Any Ideas, Little Lady explores themes around femininity and specifically around misogyny and femphobia. This work illustrates and questions ways that non-men experience the world. So more specifically, what are the themes that you're exploring? What are the ways of experiencing the world that you are aiming to shine a light on with this piece?
1: The first half of the show just about is of sort of like representational examination of ways that we and our cast have experienced misogyny or femphobia or the ramifications of all of that. Um, And so we're going to see like... The hypersexualization of women in everyday tasks. We're going to see historical snapshot from several different decades of what visually it looked like in like advertising and any pop culture things where you just Maybe don't even register it as phenphobia, but like you see a woman sort of taking a back roll always, mm-hmm. every time, in every piece of media that you see for decades and decades, and like if you see one where she's not, that's very much the outlier. That like outlier can't counteract all of the layering that's been built for every generation.
2: Yeah. And to speak more about just the term femphobia phobia and why that's a thing we're using to describe the show. Um, so misogyny, I think, is a term that most people are familiar with violence against women and, and like general hatred toward women um, and ways that that comes out in the world. But femphobia phobia is more it like really gets at this idea that femininity is a thing that is like looked down upon and discouraged no matter if it's no matter if the person who is feminine is a woman or not. So the idea of femininity as something that is sort of disliked in so many different ways. Also, like femininity and masculinity are not a strict binary, you know, so it's like, what are the associations that we see in popular media and in our culture that reinforce the like stereotypes that surround those two words that society feeds us as a binary? How can we push against that and reimagine the ways that those words exist um, and those concepts exist for us as individuals? Mm
1: -hmm. We use the term non-men a lot to mean anyone who's not a cisgendered man. Um, So anyone who has an experience outside of being assigned male at birth and still identifying as a man—that was a thing that opened up our process a lot when we made that decision to switch because we originally had been like, "Oh, we're making this show and it's about like women and femmes," and then we were like, "Oh, well, that disclu- uh, that excludes entire populations who don't identify as." Women or femmes, but still have the experience of being a non-man.
0: So, can you give me a really specific example of the way this masculine-feminine binary is presented to us, or the way that, you, Allie, you mentioned sort of the hypersexualization of women and everyday tasks? One section that we will have in the
2: first half of our show, like very specifically, is that the hypersexualization of women doing everyday tasks this idea that like me taking the trash out at home is a thing that like my husband Ian really appreciates has like stuck with me because he's like that's a thing that's like gender and i'm like i don't like that dudes always have to take the trash out and so when i take the trash out i i have this like vision <laughs> like of myself as like like wind blowing through my hair and i'm like wow this is like this is so sexy that I'm doing this. Except it's not. You're just taking the trash out. But the idea of like performing that like hypersexualization that we see in the world in so many ways that like in a very real way, obviously, like the example I gave from my real life is like a joke, mm-hmm. is, uh, but like in a very real way everything non-men do and like specifically like women and fem it's like we're supposed to like look good all the time and be sexy all the time we're just living our lives so like you'll see us like kind of on parade doing all these tasks that are inherently not necessarily sexy
1: there's this idea of performing hypersexuality for me as a woman it's like yes okay there are times that i am having hypersexuality like imposed on me and someone else's generally a male gaze is imposing that and being like, oh wow, look how sexy. And it's just like, well, no. Mm-hmm. That's what you're saying. That's not what's actually there. Um and then there are times when performing some level of hypersexuality is like in my best interest in terms of like safety or I'm a bartender. Like and it feels gross, but like I flirt with people to like make my money because I have to make a living. And I'm like very privileged to work in bars that I don't have to do that very often, but that <laughs> hasn't always been the case. And then there's the idea that having that imposed on you or doing it because it makes you safer or more, makes your job more viable confuses when you actually want to feel sexy mm-hmm. and you like, you're like, well, oh, but I do this all the time or it's like always put on me. So where is that line of like, what truly feels sexy to me and feels good to me and like, yes, maybe it is wearing Andre and looking visually super hot or maybe it's doing something for a person I care about that like makes them feel good. Like, you know, in Alyssa's example, like maybe it's just like making my husband feel good by taking the trash out mm-hmm. because we will, you will see all of our cast like trotting around being very sexy while doing very um,
0: <laughs> menial
1: everyday tasks in the show itself to a, expose that, and B, there will be a moment where our cast gets to sort of reclaim that and do something that like actually feels sexy to them, mm-hmm. for them.
0: Is this something that men ever experience, never experience, rarely experience?
1: I think they totally experience it. I think they don't have the opportunity to express it and explore it the way that women and femmes and other non-men do. Because I think this is a conversation that, like, everyone's like, okay, cool, feminists are talking about the hypersexuality of women, or hyper, like, sexualizing nature of society towards women. And people get that, and they're like, oh, we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't be objectifying women. And then it's like, one of the uh, Game of Thrones stars came out recently and was like, yeah, men are super objectified, and they, like, don't get to talk about it, basically. And it's like, yeah... The things that men do to be in action movies are terrible for their bodies just Mm -hmm. to look hot. And they don't have an opportunity or a platform to be like, this is still objectification. It looks different, but it's still objectification. Um, And I think that's objectification is always damaging. And especially because men and masculine of center people aren't allowed to talk about it because they're not allowed to talk about any feelings. Right. Is really, really damaging. And that's a thing that we're like... Our whole show is not that, like, men are bad and masculinity in itself is bad. It's the way that it's treated. And, like, how do you not see that as damaging? Right, (laughs) Like, how could anyone look at that and not just be like, oh, that person is suffering, like, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, whatever. And they have to do it by themselves in quiet. Right. Yeah. And that's how we do things. Exactly. Right. Behind closed doors. And, like, if you're going to break down, no one gets to see it. Right. Yeah.
2: And I think also the idea of – sexiness and how that's like very much linked to sexuality in our society mm-hmm. is a thing that like those two things shouldn't be directly linked there's so much shame built up in our our society about um about f- like feeling powerful and in control of what makes you feel sexy or even you know i mean whether that's like tied to like situations that are sexual in nature or not because there's so much I mean sort of as Ali was saying before it's like there is so much that's projected onto us about like ways that we are allowed to engage with that publicly or not that just conflate uh, like having an authentic experience with it in Mm -hmm. so many different scenarios it's not an experience that is that like men do not have access to. I mean it's like something that we all experience. I think that for non-men what often comes up as tied to this hypersexualization is feeling threatened um like having your safety feel threatened and like a power dynamic around like who is hypersexualizing you and, like, who holds power in, like, any given scenario? And so I think that, you know, we tend to talk about it more in communities. Like, we build communities for ourselves to talk about it because we have to for our own safety and for our own, like, being able to get through it. But in an ideal world, like, n- no one would be made to feel so isolated that that mm-hmm. idea of being emotionally vulnerable and supported is unavailable to them
1: yeah there's also the entire layer of sexy meaning conforming to western and specifically american beauty standards and like body size privilege comes into that and class privilege and like all of the layers of being like yeah we're both thin fit white women that are cisgendered and like our experience is probably universal to other people who share our identities but it is not the same as people who don't share identities and like that broad reason of wanting to include lots of voices is why our cast is diverse in the ways that it is. So let's talk a little bit about that.
0: About how you are building this piece with other people because you ha- you two have been collaborating together since 2016. Right. Yeah. Yes. But the cast and the the people who are yeah. your collaborators now <laughs> yeah. there are many more of them yeah. yeah there are and i know that you are you are very passionate about setting up an approach to creating this piece that that dismantles some of the po- power hierarchies mm-hmm. that are we traditionally see in creating work tell me about that what i will say
2: by and large is that a thing we're really committed to both inside of our process and in general is not participating in the culture where white people co-opt
1: other people's stories or Mm -hmm. experiences white people do that in general and also like specifically in the art world for like clout or success so that's just like a major tenet of
2: the work that we're doing and work that we're committed to doing the reason that we wanted to um bring other people in to create this work with us. One is that we recognize that we have similar life experiences in in these ways that Ali was mentioning before, and that our perspectives are not universal. In every scenario, like we are served by engaging in dialogue with folks that that don't have the same experiences that we do. So wanting to build a, community of people inside of our cast that yeah that that we're going to bring their own unique voices and perspectives to our show was a thing that we are <laughs> that we were and are excited to be doing and then the the other piece of that is like we didn't want to go into the show and have it be perceived as a a and a bunch of backup dancers mm-hmm. like Every single collaborator that that we have brought on board is a person that we aim to, like, use this platform that we have as, like, people in the modern dance community who are sort of known at this point, who, like, this isn't our first time producing. Like, using this platform to shine a light on, like, all of these other incredible performers and folks that are in our community who folks might be less familiar with. And just give them an opportunity to, like, showcase all of the all of the additional like life experiences and and skills that they bring to the table
1: from a standpoint of we want to use the platform that we have to like amplify other voices besides our own just for this show is like okay cool they're doing you know whatever that's like a uh sort of finite timeline if we were thinking about it and approaching it uh just from the duration of this like creative process but because of the content that we're working with and because of the way that we want to change the way that we have like seen modern dance be produced in the past we from the very beginning, before this was even a show, and it was just us having conversations about like uncomfortable and gross interactions that we had with men, we have been very uh <laughs> intentional about this being work that we do outside of the studio and outside of this process. And in what ways can we use our platform and our reputation to expand the audience of other people or expand the reach of our collaborators just in general, like in life as people Mm -hmm. and that like to do anything else to like use our collaborators work without offering them absolutely as much as we can in terms of like monetary compensation and also being a way for them to be seen and heard to do anything else would be irresponsible. And also like not just seen and heard because some of our collaborators are... (laughs) more famous and successful than we are um but like in a new context um it, like you know are the people who are composing music for us like maybe don't normally compose music for modern dance shows and so now it's like oh hey i heard this rad music at a show and now i want to work with that composer who i've only ever heard they're like albums but now they can do this just too. open it we're just yeah. like everyone has so many skills and we want everyone else to know that yeah yeah so
0: take me through how what is common practice what is the traditional way to choreograph a piece and how are you doing this differently in the room so a lot of the time
2: in a modern dance work what can happen is a choreographer will come in and say okay i maybe you get um like a a phrase or like a, you know, like one minute string of movement that you're pulling from a source work, or they say, you know, I want something to look like this, or they give you some amount of parameters and then you independently or with a partner create movement that then the choreographer takes and manipulates in certain ways And then ultimately, what happens is you as a dancer, even though you created some of that movement, don't feel ownership over it, because you're not like it gets manipulated to such a way that like, it's it doesn't feel like yours anymore. But more specifically, in a program, you would never get credit for making that it would never be like, and this section was like, this movement was created by someone else. And so like, what can happen is like someone casts like a bunch of beautiful movers who are like independently choreographically Mm -hmm. brilliant in their own right. And then they contribute choreography and then that enhances someone else's work. But then like they aren't credited in such a way that that like allows for their
1: visibility Mm -hmm. in the way that we like hope to model and see more of. And it's not the the traditional way. I mean, Certainly, I'm sure there are like some processes in which it happens that there's like no credit. But the most common thing is that it's like choreographed by this person in collaboration with the dancers, and it's like cool. But what if you have, what if you have a cast of six dancers and three of them like are also choreograph choreographers in their own right, and three of them aren't, and then it's like that's totally fine. There's no value judgment in being a choreographer or not, but that lack of specificity around what was created by whom can be hurtful but also the modern dance community is small and generally pretty like supportive of one another we just think there's a better way to do it and that way is specificity and like if someone creates something they deserve credit for that thing Mm -hmm. even if it's a like small section within the work it like You know, we're not abandon the idea of being a choreographer. Everything is like communal. Like, that's not what we're going for. We're like, okay, we have the ability to do this in a fair way. We've been part of processes in the past together and individually where that didn't happen and it feels gross. And so we're like, well, we won't do that. So it's
0: acknowledgement. It's a public acknowledgement
1: yeah. of the contributions. Speci- of- yeah. 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 The public part is so – because it's like every, you know, every process you're a part of, the choreographer is like, thank you so much. Couldn't have uh-huh. done this without you. And you have those, like, lovely, like, dressing room talks where everyone, like, feels great. And then it's like the program doesn't have any of that same care and attention. Mm-hmm. Um, so another idea that we are pushing against is the
2: idea um, – like, because modern dance – in many ways exists in like a westernized white these are the ideals of beauty was created as a, a reaction to ballet which is all about like a white thin dancing body that looks a certain way that like mm-hmm. is perceived as perfection or mm. or something we should all attain
1: and that way that was prescribed was described by a man
2: right is, um so. and then there are so many layers, like dance doesn't exist separate from the cultural context mm-hmm. that these movement vocabularies were created in. And also it doesn't exist separate from the dancing bodies that are performing it mm-hmm. in real time. And the idea that modern dance vocabulary, even like Allie and I don't, we don't like um, adhere to like a specific codified modern dance uh, vocabulary, movement vocabulary. So it's not like... Like, we're doing Cunningham or, no, or, or yeah. Graham or Lamone or, or you know, dancers. right. <laughs> so, like, there's flexibility inside of the movement mm-hmm. we build together anyway. But especially, there's a portion of our show that's like about storytelling. And the two folks that are going to be telling the stories are both folks that have like urban dance backgrounds and are beautiful, They're beautiful amazing. movers. And they're telling their stories. Like to use that as a, an example. Like if Ali and I were to be like, "Cool, you'll tell your stories. It'll be your voices." But we're gonna put our, our movement, our movement, our modern dance vocabu- vocabulary that feels good to us, mm-hmm. but you know can feel any kind of way to you mm-hmm. as a way that we are like processing your story through movement is not authentic or genuine to the experience of like the way that they want to express whatever that experience was for them. And so, yeah, we just, we don't want to ever assume that like modern dance in the way that we know it and make it is the best way to yeah. tell a story.
1: Or the only way. Or the like, only that way. they just are, it's not hard to like break out of your mindset and be like, oh, the lots of things under this umbrella there are, you know, as many options for like types of dance as there are people who dance. Mm-hmm. And so we've all seen the kind of moves that we make. Like right. we like them, we think they're fun to do and to watch, but like a not everyone does. And b, it is always worth seeing something new just from a purely like visual aesthetic standpoint and from a, a deeper layer as well. I would also say that in terms of what we're trying to do differently with our cast is that we talk a lot between the two of us and among our cast about communication and being very open and having that be very much a two-way street. And we try to, at every (laughs) moment that it's relevant and probably some that it's not relevant, um, be like, we know that this is our first time working with a cast beyond the two of us. We are learning in this process please give us feedback if you have any of it or insight into the way that we communicate things or the way that we run rehearsals. If we have said over and over, if there's anything in rehearsal that like doesn't feel good from a physical standpoint, emotional standpoint, any other standpoint that you have, please tell us. Like, You can tell us in person in rehearsal. Feel free to like stop and be like, hey, this doesn't feel good. If that doesn't feel like a good way to broach that subject, like send us an email. You know, it's a rehearsal process with seven people who are all working adults and like not all of whom live in Durham. And so they're like, you know, they're scheduling conflicts and things come up. and the way that we deal with that is trying to like emulate the entire process of care first and message after of when we have to be like, hey, you missed rehearsal or like you're gonna miss rehearsal and like that sucks because it like throws off all of the planning we've done. We really try to approach it from a like, hey, we get that things happen. If there's more information that you want to share with us about whatever happened, like please do that. Please, f- please know that we are open to hearing that, and we're not just here to like come in as parents and be like, well, you're grounded, which feels very feels very holistic and equal.
0: It seems like you are giving the message that the work is important, but the people are the most important. Yeah, and always, and always. I think always. that sometimes there's the temptation there to sacrifice the people in the room for the product. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I don't think it has to be done that way. You can still get a really great product and have a really good process. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. mean, They're not mutually exclusive. Exactly. Exactly. So Mm -hmm. I want to, I want to pull back a little bit. Yeah. And ask about why you are doing this using dance as opposed to anything else that you could create around this, even, like, you know, film, a performance art, an installation, mm-hmm. a blog post. Like,
1: <laughs> yeah. why, are you, why are you using dance as a way to explore these themes? My, like, sassy quick answer is that we're dancers and that it's... <laughs> it's what we it's do. Like, it's <laughs> our, well, it's our medium, and yeah. it's, like, the less sassy part of that is that, like, we do... People in Durham know us as dancers, and so if we are, like, well... One of the goals of this show is to use the clout that we already have. It made most sense for us to use that clout. And that's where our clout is. I said clout. So many so really more times today than I have times. in months. Yeah. Um, Unused word, but yeah. But it's a good Not word. anymore. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the other part of that is that we are trying to – also branch out in our medium so there will be an installation part of our show we're going to make a zine that will also have a connected online resource to it that will be available after the show on like an entirely ongoing basis um so that people can continue to connect to the subject matter in a way that feels very like opt-in based so that whenever someone is like oh hey I have a question about this or I am thinking back to the show that I saw or the show that I heard about, if they weren't able to come, they can visit the online resource. And that will also be a way for us to link to many other people who are not within this community, but who are doing similar work.
2: Between the installation and some of the work we're doing in the beginning of the show, we really are pulling on many different things that Mm -hmm. exist in media already as a representational reference point to say like here are all the ways that you've seen this in your life already and we're just collecting like a handful of examples so that you can position yourself as a person who's not I mean none of us are separate from Mm -hmm. this and so the goal of the installation some of it is interactive and cumulative in that like people will fill out forms and put them up on the wall and then like over time that will grow or they can see it even be different on the way out uh, than it was on the way in. And some of it so simple conceptually as like, we're going to string together a bunch of misogynistic movie clips or Mm -hmm. clips of news anchors talking over women Mm -hmm. or, you know, like, because that piece of it, we want to get at the sprawl Mm -hmm. of this problem. I think the the piece of this work that is the show, I will say that, again, from like a dance vocabulary, like modern dance vocabulary, and and even just dance vocabulary in general is not the only kind of movement we're pulling from mm-hmm. in this show. So there's that piece of it, which is like, even dance specifically doesn't feel like the most accessible way to get at every individual thing we're trying to explore. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to, in every individual section, think about what will be effective in communicating what we're trying to get at, what will feel like a way people can connect to this. To me, when I think about dance making, I feel like dance is really effective in creating an atmosphere for emotions to come up and exist. We use this this term in rehearsal, which is creating a container for complex emotions. So we're trying to do that with the show as a whole, but like specifically in like different sort of sections. We're mm-hmm. trying to like present a thing and have audience experience it in a certain way and then move on to another thing that can look very different even mm-hmm. inside of a show, like
1: section to section like. Yeah. And I would also add that that container for complex emotion is for the audience, but also a thing that we actively do within our rehearsals um, for ourselves and our other performers that we don't ever want to be. I mean, we're exploring hard stuff that is like deep and traumatic for a lot of people and has the potential to be for our audience members as well. And we never, it's that same idea of like the person coming first. We're never going to be like Oh, well, it's showtime, so all of this like good, caring work that we've done is like out the window, and we don't care what the actual performance feels like for you, a performer. Um, we care much more about what it feels like for ourselves and our cast, both physically and emotionally, on stage to be exploring these things. And I would also add that there's the layer of costuming for this show, that yeah. for one specific section, everyone... So I'm making a decent number of the costumes for the show. And for one section in the second half, we are basing those costumes off of people's favorite article of clothing so that it like very actively <laughs> feels like we're, you know, we asked them to bring in like their favorite shirt. And it's just like, everyone's like, well, what does that mean? Like my coolest shirt, the mm. one that like looks best. And it's just <laughs> like, no, that like ratty t shirt that you own that feels like you have a hug on mm. when you wear it and makes you feel good. And so that's another layer of how we're incorporating everything and also like using that as a medium because we really believe that not only is it important for our cast to come first, but that makes better art.
0: Well, it seems like this idea of authenticity keeps coming up over and over in the questions that you're you are asking and even offering. People that choice to bring in their favorite thing triggers all sorts of questions for us mm-hmm. about how do I even know yeah. what is a favorite of mine mm-hmm. Yeah, as opposed to what other people mm-hmm. think about Absolutely. it. And then that determines what yeah. is the favorite um, for me, you right? know, it's very... Confusing just yeah. walking into. <laughs> this. I mean, I will speak life. for myself. It's very confusing. I will speak for myself just walking into a store mm-hmm. and looking around and asking myself the question, what do I like? It seems right? almost impossible yeah. to answer yeah. because it's very, very hard to remove all of mm-hmm. the messaging that has been soaked into my yeah. um, conscious and subconsciousness about what i should be doing in this world how i should be showing up how i should be looking and Mm -hmm. like
1: always it's like clothing's a very like easy one to Mm. start with and then you're like oh god but like what even are my like internal thoughts when i like see another woman on the street and it's It's everything oh yeah yeah Yeah.
0: it's It's so pervasive weight
1: is yeah
0: so, what crushing. do you hope the audience will take away from this experience? I know that you've spoken about how your performers are essential and your care for them, but there will be people there taking this in. What do you hope that they get?
2: Um, so, we are going to be creating a zine with the help of people who know how to do. We that don't know sort how to make a zine. We've
1: never made a zine before. <laughs> we were just like, <laughs> "What about a zine?" We like really like to add pieces onto <laughs> yeah. this project.
2: So the zine, the idea of the zine is meant to be sort of an easy introduction to some of the concepts that we are both exploring and presenting on stage. What I will say is that the way that we are approaching this project is a very unapologetic approach. For example, we have several folks both on our cast and that are um, like making music for us who use they them pronouns. So we are not going to explain or do any work to unpack that inside Mm -hmm. of like messaging around our show Mm -hmm. or including everyone's pronouns in our press release or all of the ways that we exist operationally inside of this show as it relates to ideas and concepts that can be challenging for some folks Mm -hmm. are not things that we will apologize for. Like Mm -hmm. we're operating from like a get on our level kind of standpoint. However, we also recognize that some of these concepts are new for folks Mm -hmm. and that, like, they do need to do some work about them, around them. One thing that we don't want to happen is for folks to encounter material in our show and then the second they leave, like, turn to the women and femmes and non-men in their lives and say, like, help me unpack all of my feelings about Mm -hmm. this and, like, teach me
1: how to be good Mm -hmm. and et cetera, et cetera. I would also add to that that we don't want people to get – stuck in a shame spiral for not knowing things and so that's where the zine comes in of like cool you don't know this here's some info about it here's some info that will link to more info about it if you want a more in-depth explanation because once you get stuck in the like well i don't know and i'm so bad like i'm a bad person for not knowing these things it entirely shuts down your your ability to learn about this subject matter
2: yeah. And so we are going to build, um, and this is a resource that we plan to maintain. So like mm-hmm. we're going to build an online bank of resources that we will like have a link to in the zine, so people can go and do some reading and thinking. Really, the zine is a conduit for us to make sure that the information and experiences that people are having inside of the like container of attending mm-hmm. our show is not a stopping point or a check mark or a, yeah. it's not like well I fixed that or like I've <laughs> thought about I, that I enough I saw that
1: show yep. so I'm done. I'm good, right? Yeah. I did that, you know?
2: Yeah, so like really yeah. empowering people to look at themselves and do some self-reflection and and also
1: being like here's a nice little in a book Yeah, brand. in a way that like Fosters a willingness to do this work and like active attention to this work uh, in on an ongoing basis so that the care that we are showing ourselves and our cast can also be extended to our audience, maybe after the show. Yeah. Because, you know, within the show, it's there's not <laughs> a lot of taking care of our audience in a traditional sense of like making things easy to watch. It's not going to be a particularly easy to watch show. It'll be fun, but yeah. <laughs> there will also be moments where you're like, oh, I got to like sit with that. That's the aim of the 90 minutes of performance. It's not the aim of the work because that, you know, then gets into the, if you get stuck in that, this is too hard. This is too much. I can't do this. I don't know where to start container. You never leave it. And we don't want that because that's not how things change. Yeah. Yeah. So the the
0: piece that you're presenting, the live piece that you're presenting, mm-hmm. is an invitation to open up, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. To mm-hmm. open up conversation, to examine, to question, and then the zine is a way to extend yeah. the conversation yeah. and continue education for people who want to yeah. do that. Mm-hmm. I'd also like to add that the
2: performance is also, like, to validate.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: To validate everyone who has had an experience like this, to validate ourselves and our cast yep. in, like, the experience of living our lives. Yep. <laughs> and to offer alternative alternatives to these problematic and oppressive ideas and situations and scenarios that, like, we've been fed for
1: so yep. long. Because there are plenty of alternatives. It just takes some work because they're not easy to find. Give me an example of an alternative. So the idea that emotionality is weakness and that if you show any sense of, well, there's like the whole men don't show emotion and then they watch football and punch walls. But that aside, like <laughs> the, the stereotypical feminine emotionality of getting like- Emotional in a debate, God forbid, or, right? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Or crying or like in being in touch with your emotion that that is weakness and that is a detriment. And we very specifically at the end of the show in like the only time that Alyssa and I are actually dancing just with one another are going to offer that no, that's strength, that that is actually (laughs) being able to connect both with yourself and with another person when you are in a state of extreme vulnerability is strength. That that's what allows you to do more than you could have Without it, instead of shutting it down and being like, well, I'm going to muscle through and then you muscle through and you get exhausted because you're fighting against some systemic thing or something you don't have or have any control over. And you are just one person, regardless of who you are and what your gender is and what your life experience is. You can be the most capable person ever. You can't muscle through everything. It's just not realistic. But if you're able to like soften and you are able to connect with another person. You can do so much more. You will be so much happier. You can still have the same goals, if your if your goals are like wild financial success. Same, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> That's what we're in it for. Um, <laughs> you can still you can accomplish that in a much more holistic way that feels better for you and literally everyone around you.
0: And when you get on the other side of this piece and you're looking back. I know it's hard to imagine because there's so much, there's so many steps to take before that actually happens. But what do you want to be thinking on the other side of this? How would how would you just determine that you have succeeded at whatever you've set out to do?
1: That it's not done. It's successful if we never finish this process personally, and if we can invite the people who are close to us in any close to us as audience members or as family members or as friends or whatever, if we can invite them into our process to do that work for the rest of our lives, that's successful. And I think that's entirely doable. I don't think that's a out of this world, never going to happen kind of thing.
2: Honestly, I already feel successful in so many ways inside of this work. We've had some community gatherings where like folks are helping us collage to build part of our installation. We had a really sweet fundraiser with our show sponsor Base Pilates and movement and taught some of our <laughs> taught the hype up phrase from our show um, to folks who are like not involved in our show. And that was a really positive experience. Even the community audition for our show, like, Mm -hmm. there were so many folks that showed up to that audition who we didn't know or didn't know well who were excited to be engaged in the subject matter. And even that, even, like, Mm -hmm. our audition as, like, a small microcosm of, like, what this process is, our audition was so fun. It was so fun. Like, we had a discussion portion. We let people check in. Like, they met new people. Mm -hmm. They danced with new people. Like, the power – of being able to cultivate community and build connections through engaging with these shared life experiences, but in a way that feels validating and mm-hmm. good. And like there's respect surrounding it. Honestly, that to me feels like the most important thing, period, even independent of the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also like Ali and I, you know, like we are, we have been committed to working with non-men. Basically for every single part of this process with the exception of we're having our show with the fruit which is run by Tim Walter, so we're paying him. <laughs> but by and large like also prioritizing working with people mm-hmm. who, you know, are like marginalized in any capacity. Like that's exciting and feels like work that's that doesn't feel like something that ends with this show either. Yeah.
1: And that we can that that can be a model that this process can be a model for other people specifically in Durham, but anywhere of being like, oh, right. It doesn't actually take that much more work for me to examine all of my options, not just the ones that everyone like usually uses or usually sees that I can look and be like, oh, okay, sure. Maybe there are fewer options for composers and collaborators and performers who aren't men. It does mean that using those options will beget more options. Mm-hmm. That The more people of marginalized communities, whether that be race or class or gender or whatever, get to see that they can be part of this process, the more they will step out and be seen by themselves and by others as really valuable members of this process, whether it's our process or another choreographer's process.
0: So you've talked about the experience of sitting in the audience for don't get any ideas little lady as potentially being challenging mm-hmm. um, this is this is hard material It's not only hard to walk around and live it but it's also hard to break it apart mm-hmm. and examine it mm-hmm. It might be a challenging experience for the audience members it might be a challenging experience for the performers we might bump up against things that don't feel really good either mm-hmm. that we are, complicit in perpetuating these mm. things which is yeah. always yep, a really crappy feeling right or this this validation that you're talking about Alyssa being like yeah mm-hmm. you know it's it feels crappy because it is you know yeah. and so all of this stuff is swirling around right
1: mm-hmm. why is it important for people to come why should people show up anytime but specifically like the way the world is right now it's everyone's absolute responsibility to do that work and sit with those things and confront the ways in which they uphold the like white cis hetero And to confront that, yeah, it makes it easier for them. And it makes it harder and deadly for other people who aren't in positions of power anywhere in that hierarchy.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think it's really dangerous when Anyone who views themselves as separate from Mm -hmm. this conversation that we're having, to me, deciding to see the show is not like, well, I'm not really into dance or like, I'm not really into (laughs) Alyssa and Allie's version of moves. The subject matter feels and is, it doesn't just feel that way. It's like so much bigger than one person or two people or seven Mm -hmm. people or however many people are on stage or part of this process. But... The way that we make change on a grand scale is to like try to affect change in the small communities where we do have agency and Mm -hmm. where our voices can be heard. And Durham specifically is a a community and a, a place with so much, like already with so much compassion and with so much central emphasis on community. It's a very good opportunity for people to... Be in a room with a lot of people that they care about and see at other shows and Mm -hmm. and exist in life with and to like have a shared experience and then be able to take it with them Mm -hmm. independent of the art, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like the ideas that we're trying to bring up are things that like exist that are pervasive. They're not ideas that like start and end with the show.
1: And the only way to end these ideas, which, you know, our show won't, our generation won't, five generations won't. But the only way to begin that is to do the work personally and interpersonally. That's where it starts. You have to like recognize the things that you do within your own life that harm other people and harm society. And then you have to be like, well, it sucks and it's going to be hard, but like harm reduction starts with yourself. If you don't, see that if you're like not confronted with that in your everyday life come to our show you will be confronted with it you will we promise but you'll be confronted with it in a way that like understands that you're a human and we're all human and like not that like love is the answer but hard work is the answer and you can do that in a Safe environment.
2: One of the ways to start that work is to opt into it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, are you
1: the only way to start that
2: work? Yeah. Is to opt in. Absolutely it. right. Yeah. So, like, you know, we're here offering people an opportunity yeah. to opt in. You know, there's dynamism inside of our show. There will be moments that feel surprising and mm-hmm. that that people can take with them. And yeah, and also some moments that like hopefully will feel good. I think if you can strip away. Some of your own garbage around some of Mm -hmm. these ideas, which maybe people have done already. I do
1: also think there will be like some really beautiful moments inside of the show. This is a show that anyone can come see. It's not like just for people who have not started this work or just for people who are like, yes, I've been doing like very serious self-reflection for four years with my therapist working Mm -hmm. on like dismantling these power hierarchies. Everything we're saying and trying to say and showing and trying to show is for everyone regardless of what experiences you've had thank you so much
0: thanks thank you so glad to be here i'm excited to see this i will include all sorts of good information about this upcoming piece in the show notes i want to thank you both for having this conversation with me but also for doing the work that you're doing Mm -hmm. i appreciate you hey friends Did you know that I'm working on a new audio drama to be released this summer 2019? It's an adaptation of my stage play, Master Builder. This is a whole new kettle of fish for me, and I'm so excited. We're revealing all sorts of behind-the-scenes goodies via the Artist Soapbox Patreon page, and we'd love for you to join us as we roll toward completion. Patrons who donate $3 or more per month have access to updates and extras, and even more excitingly, they'll have early access to the completed audio drama before the general public. Come on and join us at patreon.com artistsoapbox.